Welcome to Spook Pod. This is Courtney. And this is Emily. to spook pod today we are on natalie holloway part three and emily is just waking up over in canada so i sound a little gravelly and i'm (laughs) sorry it'll go away as i talk but right now i'm deep (laughs) you're deep i made her get up really early because we're having a bit of a hectic day and yeah we spoke last night and then emily went to bed and then i've been working since she went to bed and now she's awake and now we're recording so this time change is a little bit. Is a little I don't bit like it. I don't like it. It's not my favorite thing. No, we're, ma- I- we're making it work, but I don't like it. <laughs> For me, I don't like it because it means that we can't watch movies together as easily. Yeah, it does like put a that. real kink in that. And sometimes when it's like you know nine at night, and I'm like, oh my god, something happened to me, and I go to text you, and I'm like, it is like three a.m. She's <laughs> not gonna be. Yeah, that's no fun. You you know, you know you won't get a response. But um let's see. Where did we leave off last time? We talked about you're on the moron as you you made, made me real mad. <laughs> Keep going. Uh I still can't get over you calling him that. Um but yeah, he was the douchebag who was last seen with Natalie and we went over his first statement and I think that statement was the most important, but I'll dive into why a bit later. Um, but then we actually steered away from Yoron a little bit and we looked at the other tips and leads that came in from the Chawler houses and Wendy and Peter Pan and a lot of rumors that were swirling around, um, which ultimately led to the arrest of two security guards. But then that very quickly kind of brought us back to Yoron because these security guards were seemingly only arrested because of statements Made by Yoron. Yeah, which then brought us to his second story where he dropped Natalie off at the hotel and two men who looked like security guards approached her. And okay, like, so honestly, even at this point, if you haven't arrested Yoron before here, any, like, police with two cents, like, we got this story from this kid who was involved, we arrested the two people, they're saying they weren't involved, now we have a conflicting story, let's go pick up the guy that told us the story. But for some reason, he just skitters away like the little cockroach that he is. Right. And I hate it. And it's very clear that that was a bullshit story because they had the video cameras at the hotel and there was no Natalie, no security guards, no Yoron, like no one was there. Nobody dropped Natalie off at the hotel that night. But, all right, so we're back to Yoron and I think we're going to be focusing mostly on him and the other two suspects, uh, Deepak and Satish, today in this episode. So, And they just sound suspicious because we haven't heard anything. Like, the only thing we've heard from them is that the one, like, collaborated Yoron story, like, one time. Otherwise, (laughs) these two people who were there the night of, just, like, casually in the background, not doing anything, not saying anything, like, they were in the car with her. Question them. Yeah, I know, right? It's really frustrating. But... 
Alright, so let me say Yoron's second statement in detail. So this is the one where he implicated the security guards. This statement was given on June 9th, 2005, so nine days after Natalie went missing. So Yoron said, Between 7 and 8 p.m., I went to the blackjack table. This is where I met Natalie and her friends. Her friends kept insisting for me to come to Carlos and Charlie's. After this, the girls left for the bar. I called my father at 11 o'clock p.m. to come pick me up at McDonald's. Deepak and Satish came to pick me up at 12.30 a.m. to take me to Carlos and Charlie's. I did sneak out. I have a VIP pass to go there that allows me to invite all guests in. I go there two times weekly. When I entered, Natalie is dancing on the stage. Her friend said that Natalie had an eye on me and wanted to dance, but Natalie was not drinking. I ordered a whiskey Coke, and Natalie wanted me to do a jello shot off her stomach. She laid down on the bar so I could do it. I felt that she had been drinking. Natalie wanted to continue drinking, so I paid for two shots of rum 151. She drank a shot, and Satish was standing next to her. She followed the shot with a chaser of whiskey coke. After that, Natalie, Satish, and I walk outside. Everyone was leaving. Natalie said she wanted me to take her to my house. Around 1.15, we walked from Carlos and Charlie's with Satish. Deepak was waiting in the car. Deepak was driving. Satish was a passenger. Natalie asked them if they were rich. She was impressed by their car. She yelled Aruba out the window to her friends. A friend told her two times to get out of the car. We took her to the lighthouse because she wanted to see sharks. She put her hand on my leg and we started kissing. She kept falling asleep and waking up. I began kissing her again. She put her hand on my penis. I caressed her breasts. She is shaven. First, I placed my middle finger in her and then the rest. I still continued kissing her. Her underwear was dark blue with embroidered flowers. I was fingering Natalie and Deepak and Satish and me were in the car. Natalie fell asleep and woke up. Then she wanted to go home. No more kissing. We drove up to the lighthouse and around the sand dunes, then back to the Holiday Inn. Deepak parked in the left side. Natalie got out of the car and the guards came up. So now he's referring to these two security guards. He described them as men wearing black t-shirts who had flashlights. All right, so that was Yoran's second statement. So it does differ a little bit from his first statement. Uh, he goes, I think, into a bit greater detail in this story. And of course, there is the really significant fact, the main difference, that now he's mentioning these security guards who approached her, which he does not mention at all in his first story. I also think it's interesting that he like puts in these weird little details about like, I called my dad to come pick me up at 11 p.m. from McDonald's and like, and then he's like, she wanted to go to my house before and, and just like she commented on their car and just, okay, well now you're adding random a lot more <laughs> detail and random things than you did the first time. Yeah. Now I really did try my best to organize all of Yoron's statements, but it was a bit confusing for me. Because this dude loves to talk, loves to spin a story. And because the media went wild with this, there was just so much to untangle. So just keep that in mind as I discuss everything next. Like this was my best attempt to organize this. But Emily, you will probably be happy to know that the next day after giving this second statement, so 10 days after Natalie went missing, the direction of the investigation finally changed to the one that it should have been deeply looking into since the beginning. 
Joran van der Sloot, Deepak Kalpo, and Satish Kalpo are all arrested on suspicion of kidnapping and murder. So remember here, Aruba can arrest just on suspicion without any evidence. And then in order to keep holding a suspect in custody, they need to keep meeting an increasing evidential burden at periodic reviews. So at this time, Deepak's car is finally impounded and Joran's apartment is finally searched. And it wasn't his entire house, just his like little separate living quarters. I think he had an apartment in the backyard or, I don't know, some separate space on his parents' property where just he lived, so only that was searched. But it took them 10 days to do this, which means that these guys had 10 days to get their stories straight, 10 days to get rid of evidence, 10 days for evidence to even just go away on its own, such as like video security footage, etc., 10 days to get legal advice and coaching from Yoran's annoying father <laughs> and any other legal contacts they had. So 10 days to cover their tracks. Do you know how many basically. times I can wash my car inside and out in 10 days? <laughs> if, I'm motiva- if I'm motivated enough? Yeah, a if lot you just committed murder and you kind of want to. Yeah, so according to Deputy Police Commissioner Gerald Dompich, Dompich, I can't say his name right, but <laughs> it's spelled like D-O-M-P-I-G, which I can't help but notice that it kind of sounds like dumb pig, <laughs> dumb pig. But he said the focus of the investigation centered on these three suspects from the get go. Oh, that's a lie. That's a <laughs> <laughs> first lie. <laughs> that's a lie. Close observation of the three men began three days after Holloway was reported missing, and the investigation included surveillance, telephone wiretaps, and monitoring their email. He also indicated that pressure from Natalie's family is what caused the police to prematurely stop their surveillance and arrest the three. So yeah, Emily, you already called it. This is so bullshit. First of all, he said that it took three days for them to get started, which is too fucking long when they were the last people seen with her. Like, that should have happened in the first hours. And remember, um, like, Natalie's mom had Yoron's name within four hours of being on the island. And yet, the police are still saying that it took them three days. And they said three days after she was reported missing, not went missing. So that seems kind of unclear to me because... I don't even know when Natalie was officially reported missing. Like, I know that her parents had a hard time getting in contact with the police. So, I don't know. That just seems really lame. And then the fact that they're kind of blaming Natalie's parents, like saying it was their fault that they prematurely stopped surveilling these guys and arrested them. Also, like, that's not how you do policing. Like, it's just not. These guys are expected of a kidnapping. They're not, like, on the FBI most wanted list for a child trafficking ring or, like, a drug traffic. Like, you're not... What are you surveilling them for? For what? Yeah, like, for them to, to confess over the phone? Them. For Yoron and Deepak to have a deep, heartfelt email exchange about the body they chopped up? Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Just pull them in and question them, dum-dums. Do your job. <laughs> yeah, I don't like this dumb pig guy but we'll hear more from him later too, oh I think. great goody <laughs> can hardly contain myself so just kind of speculating like why did it take so long for them to get arrested 
Well, many people, first of all, on the island said that there was some sort of personal relationship between Paulus, Joran's father, and the police chief, Jan van der Straten. I've even seen reports that he was, that the police chief was Joran's godfather, but at the very least, they were, they were good friends. So something might be going on there. And Paulus was on the administrative judges panel in 1996 or 1997. And while he was on this panel, the police chief would have not only worked for Paulus, but would have answered to him too. So there's definitely some power dynamics that could be happening here. And you have to think about it like this, maybe. So Paulus did have power in Aruba. He was a judge. And if you're on the police force in Aruba and you're going to be the one to kind of stand up and accuse this judge's son of something, I think you would want to be sure, you know? It would be really embarrassing for someone if they were like, oh, okay, we're going to arrest Yoron. And then if you're wrong, you know? So I kind of think that the police maybe were a bit afraid to act here in the very beginning because they didn't want to be that knucklehead that arrested this prominent dude's son and then it turned out that they made a mistake. You know, now you've made an enemy, maybe your job is at risk, who knows? But I think it was easier for the police to do nothing, to wait it out and maybe work up some courage or get a little bit more info. Also, Natalie was from the United States, so after all this ended... The Americans would leave, but Paulus would still be in Aruba. And if you're Yoron, like, you know growing up that your dad has power. So if you're gonna commit a crime, you know there's gonna be a little bit of a delay. You've got some freedom there. You've got some wiggle room because they're not just gonna arrest you at the drop yeah, of a hat. I think Yoron probably thought that he was, like, untouchable. I mean, his dad kind of babied him and protected him and... I think he was spoiled and then you know it just kind of like creates this feeling that you're a little bit invincible so I'm sure he probably had some dynamics like that. They also like as a family definitely dedicated some serious time to uh, teaching Yoron critical thinking skills. (laughs) He totally didn't come out a complete and utter moron. Sarcasm! Oh wait. (laughs) Okay but Whatever, at least they have Yoron now. So on June 10th, when they're arrested, Yoron and Deepak give separate stories. Oh, how shocking. How shocking that their stories didn't match up. (laughs) Let's start with Deepak. Deepak told his mother that he was driving Natalie back to the hotel, that her and Yoron were kissing in the backseat of his car, and he didn't like it. So then Natalie asked to see the lighthouse. They went there, drove by, but didn't stop the car. And then they dropped Natalie and Yoran off on the beach and Deepak and Satish went home. Now I'm merging some statements here just for the sake of timing, but Deepak also said that they dropped Natalie and Yoran off on the beach around 1.30 a.m. And then at 2.40 a.m., Yoran told them that he was alone and he left Natalie on the beach and needed a ride home. And the brothers said that they were in bed and to call someone else. Now, it does seem like there are some phone records. I'm a little skeeved out by them because they're just so kind of inconsistent that I've seen reported. But it does seem that there was an eight-minute phone call that night that happened between Yoron and the brothers. I'm not sure exactly what time that was at. We also have some online records that show that Deepak was active online at home between 2 and 3 in the morning. Probably Googling how to get rid of a body. (laughs) 
had to guess. But yeah, I'm not sure if that shows anything because it could it could even have not been him or he could have went back out after Yorin called him, you know. So it doesn't it doesn't really show an alibi at least that because he was online he wasn't involved in any way. Listen, he may be a murderer, but at least he's a good friend. Because honestly, if you called me at 2.40 in the morning, like, I left a dude on the beach and now I'm wandering around town, come get me. I'd be like, bro, call a cab. And I'd hang up the phone on you. <laughs> what are you doing? And then there is um, a text at 3 a.m. from Yoron to Deepak saying that he was home and that he walked. That's also super sweet. Letting your friend know where you are. Yeah, letting you him know. know you got home safe. He doesn't <laughs> care. It's three in the morning. Go to bed. And is that something that guys do? I know girls no, do that. I but... also wonder if this is to like establish an alibi because he already Maybe. knew he screwed up and he's like, I I have to have like boom, boom, boom. Because like, why else? Why else is a dude texting another dude at three in the morning to be like, don't worry, babe. I got home safe. Smooch, smooch. <laughs> like, no, it doesn't happen. Deepak was not that worried about your safety. He did not care. <laughs> and it sucks because if this did happen, if Yoron did walk home, that could have been verified by security cameras. But because the police waited so long to look into this, all the security footage was gone by that point. And remember, um, Yoron lived in Nord. So that's kind of directly behind Palm Beach. So it wouldn't have taken him too long to walk home. I would estimate like, 30 minutes, give or take, depending on where he lived in Nord, but it wouldn't be super impossible to do. And between 3.30 and 4.30 a.m., records do apparently show that Yoron was at home and online. He checked soccer scores and he visited a porn site. Priorities. <laughs> Missed the soccer game while I was murdering. <laughs> Got shoved up during the murder and had to fix it with porn. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what? Yoran was interviewed about this later, and the interview was so annoying. It just, like, ugh, grinded my gears. He said that when he heard on the news that a girl had gone missing, he immediately thought of Natalie. Quote, The first thing that popped into my head was, what if something happened to her? What if she went swimming? Afterwards, I was thinking, after everything she told me, that she probably might have gone back to her hotel, hooked up with someone, gone with someone else, and wanted to stay another day on the island. Like, what? Dude? Like, that's like classic deflection. So, so first of all, first of all, if you're the guy who was on the beach with her last night and that's the last place you saw her and you have information on her whereabouts, why are you not calling the authorities and saying, hey... I was with her last night. At this time, I left her on the beach here. She was alive. Go check security footage around that time. Maybe something happened to her. If you're not trying to hide something, that's what you do. If you, however, left a body somewhere and you now don't want people to find said body, maybe you get really sad and concerned and think maybe she hooked up with someone else. No, she's dead. You killed her. Like, we know. Yeah, fuck off, Yoran. And he said that he didn't tell the truth at first because he was scared. Quote, I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want anyone to know I left her at the beach. I lied because, yeah, I was scared. I had a girlfriend at the time. I didn't want my dad to think bad of me. I didn't want my friends to think bad of me. Deepak literally watched you finger a girl in the back of his car. He knows you're not with your girlfriend. <laughs> he knows you're an idiot. <laughs> 
he already thinks poorly of you. You called him at 3 a.m. to say, babe, I'm home. (laughs) He doesn't even like you. Satish at this time also told his mother that they lied and that they were covering for Yoron. He said that Deepak left Yoron and Natalie at the beach by the Marriott Hotel and went home. But the boy's mother said on Dr. Phil that she returned home at 12 a.m. and the boys were not there. She thought they got home around 3 a.m. And when she realized that this blew their alibi, she tried to get those tapes back and not put on Dr. Phil. Now, this is Dr. Phil, so I don't really know how much credence we can give to them. I mean, Dr. Phil also did this super sketchy thing where they had a hidden camera record Deepak, and then they really did, like, totally edit it to make him look guilty. Like, for example, in one part of the interview, um, the interviewer, who was named Jamie Skeeters, he said... Ooh, like Rita Skeeter from Harry Potter, who was also not reliable. Continue. (laughs) He said... I'm sure she had sex with all of you, to which Deepak replied, she did. You'd be surprised how simple it was. But if you go back and like they actually looked at the tapes and looked at the transcripts and everything, and it was clear that Deepak's reply was to something else, and then maybe they altered this videotape. So yeah, again, this is the problem when cases blow up like this, right? There's so much going on that it's so hard to tease out the truth and of course dr phil he's kind of scummy he wants his little take on this so yeah there were also some lawsuits filed against jamie skeeters and dr phil from this so okay so like also like dr phil like i just you dr phil you do the therapy thing you don't do the let's find a missing person in aruba thing so like where are you trying to branch out to with this like are you gonna start the next texas equisearch (laughs) like are you You're going to be the, like, what is your angle? Stop it. (laughs) This did do something to worry Deepak because he did feel like his alibi was gone. And he was afterwards caught approaching one of his female friends and asked her to say that she was with him that night instead. But this girl contacted the FBI. So good job, girl. (laughs) Because girls are smarter. Because we're... (laughs) Just not going to get involved in your weird little bromance with Yoron the Moron. No, no, thank you. (laughs) All right, so let's get to Yoron's statement when he's arrested, because of course he gives a statement too, and we're now Uh, on This is the one he's been prepping with Paula, so his father, (laughs) for anyone who's... Paula. (laughs) Yeah, he's been prepping this statement, so this is going to be the good one, right? This is going to be the really polished version that makes a lot of sense. This one's kind (laughs) of... Seems like that critical thinking we talked about isn't really coming into play here. That's fine. But this is his third story for anyone counting. So he says, Now I'm going to tell you. We drove to my house. I was kissing Natalie. Now I'm going to tell you. After my 17th... Sorry. Sorry. Continue. (laughs) We drove to my house. I was kissing Natalie. Deepak is driving. At 1.40 in the morning on May 30th, Deepak dropped me off at home. I went to my room while Deepak and Satish took Natalie home. I called Deepak at 3 a.m. to tell him I'm home. Then I called Deepak. He already and- knew. Yeah, he he al- if off, this bro. is your story, he already knew. He dropped you off, bro. He left you there. <laughs> Do you have that- two friends named Deepak, one of whom is way more concerned about you than the other one? Because he already knew. <laughs> then I called Deepak at 3.30 a.m. and asked him, How's it going? Did you drop the girl off at the Holiday Inn? Just a super cash 3 a.m. <laughs> phone call. 
I think like, we what? I think we literally talked about this earlier. If you call me at three AM like what? Do the I know that statement it's just so all over the place. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand where this like we were going to my house thing keeps coming into play. Like, why? Did you tell her you had a nice house? Were you like why were you going to your house? Because it just keeps coming up. We're going to my house. You're going to my house. Like, no. In yeah, in the initial the statement, knows. you were going to see sharks. Do the sharks live at your house? I don't... Like, what? <laughs> but Deepak adamantly denied this and asked Euron why he was lying. I don't think anyone in the history of the world believed this statement even a little bit. Not even the Aruban police. Like, it was clear he was just trying to fuck over Deepak because he didn't like how Deepak was saying that he left them alone at the beach. They okay. might have believed him for the first little bit where he was like, now I'm going to tell you because they were like, ooh, we get a statement. And... And I feel like they were dumb enough to be fooled <laughs> yeah. by that first little bit. And then when he was like, they left me at my house, but then I called them to say, I'm home. Like, they they knew. Yeah. <laughs> they knew. And in this same statement, Yoran also said, my father told us that our emails would be read and our cell phones would be bugged. He told us to get our stories straight and then send emails to corroborate them. We should use the hard drive to nail an alibi. First, all three of us have to agree on a story and stick to it. If we keep calm and all our stories match, then we, we will get out of jail in 10 days. My father said to me, I hope she is alive, but not a big chance for that. Daddy even knows. Daddy knows that you're a bad boy. <laughs> Fucking powerless. Deepak said something similar. He said, Yoran's father asked me if I had a lawyer. He's getting worried because the case is getting serious. He told me not to worry and that he will look for a lawyer for me. He's hiring one for me. My brother Satish and I went to Yoran's house to talk to his father there. He told us what to do. Like, fuck Paulus. God damn it, Paulus. And it was literally reported that Paulus said, when there is no body, there is no case. Oh, no. The he whole reason that there's a case is because there's no body. No living body. <laughs> and her parents are looking for her. And yeah, his if we stupid had son, a nice living if body. If his stupid little son went, here's the body, he would just be arrested and this would all be over. And then you could stop looking like an idiot and the world could know that he's a moron, which we already do. So, like, <laughs> done. Of course, he denied saying this. So I'm kind of interested in, like, what happened when they were arrested. Like, who was interrogating them? What was going on? Because it seems to me like the Aruban police, they really didn't have the skills for that type of interrogation. I no, no, Courtney, they already, they definitely tapped their phones. They were reading their internet searches and their email. They obviously had the technology. <laughs> Natalie's parents are the one who ruined this investigation. Do you not recall? Do you not recall? <laughs> Dumping statement? Dumping statement. <laughs> yeah, so I also mentioned that the FBI had come from the United States, but there was a caveat to that because... The Aruban authorities, they really didn't let the FBI do very much. In fact, Natalie's family, they called for so many resources from the United States. They called Washington, D.C., the senator, and the FBI, and the Dutch authorities were there too. But the problem was is that the United States and the Netherlands, they had no jurisdiction in Aruba. They couldn't do anything unless they were given explicit permission from Aruba. And they were given permission for some things, stupid things, small things. They could read over statements and look at the documents collected, basically. But could they interrogate anyone? No. Which is so dumb, because if you're Aruba in this situation, and you, like, are 
getting this like knock against your tourism and you just want this situation resolved, why would you not let a so much more well-equipped team like the FBI who has significant financial backing come in and take over some portions of this case? Like get it solved, get it done, get it out of the way and get your tourism back up because you've removed your on the stink bug from your... And he's not going around serial killing blonde girls anymore. <laughs> Can we just do that? Let's just do that. Yeah. So Natalie's family was, of course, really upset by this. Like, they felt that Aruba inviting the FBI in was more lip service because they couldn't, they didn't really have anything that they could do. Like, they couldn't do anything hands on. They could just be passive observers, basically. And I can't imagine how frustrating that would be to have these resources at your disposal trying to help and then someone is stopping you from doing that yeah just speculating i kind of think that this is one of the main reasons why this case wasn't solved the fbi like you said emily they're they're good at interrogating and they have so many skills in this that the aruban police just don't have because they never really needed to like this case threw aruba into the spotlight And they had so much pressure on them from the United States and everywhere, basically, to solve it. And there was a lot riding on it, like the entire island's economy. Tourism is their most important industry. Like, it's at risk. So, yeah, I just have no doubt that the interrogation was not done properly. And I think we see this happen often, too, where, you know, a really big, terrible crime happens in a smaller area that doesn't have the resources or the knowledge to handle it. Uh, Even in Canada and the United States, we see this too. And the small police force refuses to hand it over to a bigger authority. And I think part of it is an ego thing. Like they don't want to admit that they don't have the resources. And they also probably genuinely think that they can handle it. And in the case of Aruba, they have the United States law enforcement showing up. And of course, they want to keep control of the situation, you know, because Aruba does but have they, a lot riding. They didn't have control of that. So that was no, a wild spinning Ferris <laughs> wheel. <laughs> that was not control. That was you've done many, many things wrong from the outset. Yeah. Be better. But if you can picture it, like, if they hand over the access to the FBI, they no longer have any control on anything, on how anything's reported. And I can understand how that would be scary for a small island. But I do think that this is a major reason why this case is not solved today. Aruba got in over its head and just did not make the right choices when help was offered. Probably ego, probably the island's protection. But, yeah. Like, when it comes down to it, the FBI should have been involved. It was a case of a missing American woman, and they should be allowed to come help their people. And countries often use other countries' resources. Like, Aruba couldn't even do forensic testing, so they needed help. But without the FBI, or with them being more passive observers, the case steamrolled on in a very unorganized fashion. But we do see something interesting happening with these stories after they get arrested. The guys start to blame each other, right? Like Deepak starts to blame Yoran and Yoran starts to blame Deepak. So I think that that's pretty typical in a situation like this. Like these guys aren't geniuses, right? If they just had some proper interrogation, I just so feel like it would have been cracked. Um, One of the FBI agents, Doug Shipley, he was there supporting the family 
and he was one of the ones that was allowed to read their statements. And he told Natalie's family explicitly, he said, the way the guys are pointing a finger at each other, we're afraid there's a possibility that Natalie may not be alive. So it's just like the FBI already knows, right? Like they can see these patterns happening. They're literally trained in this because do you know how many Americans are psychopaths? A lot of them. (laughs) And that's not to say that Canadians are, we get crazy too. I'm just saying the U.S. has a specific task force set aside for when the people go crazy. And they're good at it. They are. This is their job. It's literally all they do. Yeah. It's not, okay, I should say it's not literally all they do, but it's like all of their training is towards like these sorts of situations because mm-hmm. they are supposed to find the answers. And That's as we know, job. yeah, they really fund their police force. So they, <laughs> yeah. they know, they know. But yeah, I so wish that the FBI got to question those guys. I just, oh, I wish that. I really think that if they could put some pressure on it, I think they would have cracked and we would have got some information. Once the boys were arrested, the tip lines started to change. So before there had been a lot of live sightings of Natalie, and then it kind of started to shift towards body sightings. And at this time, too, Paulus and Yoron, they really start campaigning heavily for Yoron's innocence. And he did actually have some supporters on the island, one being his mother, of course. Oh, good. Mommy (laughs) thinks you didn't do it? How nice. Yeah, mommy supports you. Her name's Anita. I also don't like her. She's just as annoying as Paulus. But she starts saying that Yoron is being treated unfairly and that his visitation was too harsh. She was only allowed to see him for 10 minutes a day and she couldn't talk about the crime at all. Yeah, you can't coach oh, your you can't coach your serial killer son into <laughs> saying the right things about the crime he definitely committed. That's unfair. <laughs> Unfortunate and unfair. Yeah. I mean, he was only 17, so I guess he was a minor. I don't know how that... I mean, because, well, we have that thing in Canada where, like... You can't be questioned without... Well, but also, depending on the crime, you can be charged as an adult even though you're a minor. Oh, true. So, like, and he was so close to 18 that I don't know if anything similar exists in Aruba, but, like, that would be something that we would look at trying you as as an adult instead of a minor. Yeah, maybe trying, but I think it still applies that you can't the be questioning, yeah, yeah, without a lawyer present or without a parent present if you're a minor. So hey, Paulus, both bring him in. <laughs> yeah, well, Paulus was forbidden to visit Euron; he couldn't do it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just so annoying. Like, lady, there's a girl missing. No one has any clue what Euron even did after he left with Natalie because we can't get a story out of him that's consistent. So like. Fuck off, Anita. <laughs> like, questioning's not going to matter when your son's telling so many different stories that, you know, you should be writing children's novels at yeah. this point. And a lot of things start coming out in the press in this time, too. So the Aruban prime minister said that blood was found in Deepak's car after a luminol test revealed that there was something there. But the thing is, luminol doesn't just react to blood. It also reacts to cleaning supplies. And... There were also tips that came in that said that the Calpo brothers were seen washing their car, scrubbing it inside and out at 4 a.m. the day that Natalie disappeared. Hey, you remember that phone call? You remember that 3 a.m. Hey, baby, I'm home (laughs) phone call? It might have been like a, hey, baby, get that blood out of the trunk because we're going to look into it. Yeah. (laughs) And 
it was actually confirmed that the results from the luminol test were cleaning fluid, not blood. So yeah, I don't know why they were why they had to clean their car at 4 a.m. When I lived in Aruba, I hardly ever washed my car. Definitely not at 4 a.m. And so my there car was... would be like, it would be so dusty that I couldn't even see out the window and I would just leave it. A guy literally got caught because of this in the States recently. And it was the case of the jogger who went missing. And I can't remember her name off of the... Oh, yeah. Eliza, I think. Yes. And she went missing and they literally, like had seen the guy washing his car out and his neighbors were suspicious. And that is part of the reason that like they ended up finding her and listen to the tips, police. Also, if you need to clean your car, 4am is not the time to do it. Never. 4am is not the time to do like anything. Listen, if you have insomnia, I feel for you. Watch some Netflix. Do not go (laughs) out and deep clean your car at 4am. And then it was also reported in the Aruban newspaper that Yoron broke down and cried and confessed that they had buried Natalie by the fishermen's huts. And then after this was reported, a literal government spokesperson, the Minister of Justice, said in a press release that the case was solved. Natalie was dead and the authorities knew the location of her body. And then later, of course, this information was retracted. And the Minister of Justice said that he got caught up in a misinformation campaign. Apparently, Yoran was escorted to the beach, but nothing was found. But Okay, but you're Minister of Justice. So the dude who should know, the dude who's like, Justice yeah. Department, <laughs> is sitting he... there like, it's cool, case solved. Yeah, Tell- case solved. Like, Pat on what? the back, Aruban police, we've, we've done it. <laughs> like, wait, wait a second. Is the Aruban government literally basing its facts on news reports in the newspaper mm-hmm. he like, saw what? it he what? saw it and was like i must have missed the email and then he just <laughs> better schedule out. a press release yeah <laughs> better not talk to anybody at the office better just go ahead and make a quick press statement <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll come back to it after yeah what the hell we can also go ahead and call that your story number four Yeah, so anyways, the media is just reporting a whole bunch of shit in Aruba, and then the government is getting confused by it, and then it's all just a big clusterfuck. And then there was an item found, which was a piece of duct tape with long strands of blonde hair on it. And it had to be sent to the Netherlands to be tested, of course. So it was brought and hand-delivered by the lead prosecutor on the case, Karen Janssen. And while the prosecutor was in the Netherlands... They decided that they were just going to have some downtime. Just a little vacay. Just a little vacay. And they just spent a couple weeks with their family. And that created a lot of backlash. I really liked what this reporter had to say. They said, Now the chief prosecutor is on a two-week vacation to the Netherlands. I don't know what you think, but it seems to me that if you are in charge of the only murder investigation in your country, and if the clock is winding down on holding your chief suspect, that you might want to delay that vacation a few weeks. Even some of us worked vacation days covering this story, and we are not in charge of the investigation. We're just covering it for a news organization. You cannot blame a prosecutor or a police chief if a crime is perfect and not provable, but I do think it is fair to criticize them for taking a vacation mid-investigation when there is a clock running. Yeah. Yeah, point point said very well. It did come back that this hair sample on the duct tape did not match Natalie. 
But we still don't have the lead prosecutor on the case because they're frolicking around in the Netherlands. <laughs> it's fine. And then another tip came in from a gardener who said that he saw the three boys in their car around 2.30 or 3 o'clock a.m. on the night that Natalie went missing near a pond by the Marriott Hotel. And the Marriott would have been the hotel like right near the fishermen's huts at this time. And the gardener said that the boys tried to hide their faces from him. So because of his tip, the pond was drained, but nothing was found. Joran also apparently lost his shoes that night that Natalie disappeared. Um, and some speculate that this is because he left in a rush or maybe they had evidence on them. So he discarded them. But I will say, though, I have literally done this. Like, I went to the beach one time in Aruba, and I took off my Birkenstocks. And then when I left the beach, I got into the car just without shoes, and I just drove home. And I was just like, oh, shit. I left my Birkenstocks at the beach. It's kind of weird. It's a weird thing to do. But when you're living in Aruba, you do kind of get used to this lifestyle of being barefoot all the time, even outside and on the beach. And you start to forget your shoes. So I don't know what that means, but it could mean potentially that Joran was with Natalie on the beach that night. Again, and maybe this is because this case is just so fresh in my head, but this Eliza case, that guy was also uh, wearing shoes and kicked them off trying to kidnap her. And one of them had his DNA on it. And again, that's how they found him. So uh, perfect. Well, just Joran's weird were... similarities to that case. And... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yoran's shoes were unfortunately never found, but what was found was an old belt near the lighthouse that looked like a belt that Yoran had in some of his pictures online. But the police decided the belt was too old and they didn't even do any testing on it. But the thing was, yeah, the belt was old already in the pictures. And apparently police dogs, they got excited in the area where the belt was found. So but let's just ignore our cadaver dogs and they're <laughs> stupid. Yoron's the smarty pants and we'll, we'll go from there. Don't trust the dogs. They don't have very good snozzes. They can't smell things. <laughs> they also kept getting a tip that this guy who drove a yellow Jeep with a dinghy on a trailer on the back had a barrel in it. And apparently they thought that Natalie's body could be in that barrel to be then dumped at sea. And this guy was related to Yoron. He was a cousin or something. And the dude was found, but he was never held, searched, or interrogated. So. Perfect. 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 Yep. Rumors also circulated that Paulus borrowed a boat from someone the day after Natalie disappeared. But that was a he rumor. He just wanted to go rumor. out. He just wanted to go out on a quick little paddle boat. <laughs> just across the... It was fine. So then, on June 13th, three days into Yoron's arrest... He proclaims that all his previous statements are not true. And he okay. throws out pa story number pause, five. Pause for effect right here. Because if you're literally sitting in a police interrogation situation and you've told multiple stories up until this point and you stop them and go, none of my stories from before were true. Immediately, you've just dissolved any credibility you had anywhere. So any right? story that comes out of your mouth from this point on, why would it ever be true? It's bullshit. You've I already know. told us five that weren't. Everything any police... Any police force would be like, why are we going to bother listening to you then? <laughs> like, clearly this story came directly out of his ass. Okay, story story uh, number five, continue. So he said, now the truth. Oh, now. <laughs> before, now the truth. <laughs> last time when I said now I'll tell you, I, I actually meant 
this time now I'll tell you. Yeah. Now, now. Now, now, now. Now, now. <laughs> now the truth. We drove to my house at 1.40 a.m. on May 30th. Oh, again. Again with the my house thing. Why are you going <laughs> to your house? Dude, nobody wants to go to your house. Nobody. Not even nobody. Deepak. And he's your best bud that you text at 3 a.m. to say, baby, I'm home. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I want her to come in. I have sex with her. Next, we go to the beach and walk to the fisherman's huts. We kiss and she masturbates me. After I'm done, I told her to go back to the Holiday Inn, but she wanted to stay there on the beach. I called Deepak to pick me up at the fisherman's huts at 3.30 a.m. She still wanted to stay there. Deepak said, don't fuck with that bitch. Let's go. He asked me, what did you do with Natalie? So now he's claiming, again, after throwing Deepak under the bus, that he left Natalie on the beach, which is what Deepak said. Now he's saying, okay, yes, I left Natalie on the beach. Which, first of all, that's such a gentlemanly thing to do. Also, who? Who is Deepak to you? Because you are literally calling this man hours <laughs> after he's dropped you off somewhere to be like, baby, come pick me up. <laughs> what is happening here? Like, I, this ride situation is baffling to me because, again, literally, if I live 10 minutes away from you and you called me at 3.30 a.m. like, I'm out on a beach with a babe. Like, No. <laughs> You're drunk, you're partying, I'm asleep, get help. And then I hang up the phone. <laughs> Stop it. No one's yeah. coming to pick you up at 3.30 in the morning from a random beach after you just got jacked off by some girl you just met. <laughs> Not happening. Yeah, god damn it, you're on. And, well, can I just say, like, I completely doubt this fully. Like, I don't think that Natalie would have let herself or would have wanted to be left on the beach alone in a foreign country, you know? Like, she would want him to bring her back to her hotel if she had been with him. Anybody who can get up and walk down onto a beach and jack somebody off after just having sex, well done. Because I'm a sleepy little bear. Like, it... <laughs> you don't just get up and have a beach stroll. Like, what? Yeah. The, the sex happens too early in the story for what happens after in the story, <laughs> and I just feel... And then yeah. apparently he just leaves her? Yeah, and then you're just like, see you later. See you later, bye. You can Have actually do this. finding your way. <laughs> I know you're unfamiliar with the area and not from here. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, the thing is you can actually do this walk. Like, you can walk directly on the beach from the fishermen's huts staying on the beach all the way to the Holiday Inn. And I have done that walk many times in my life because there's this really this really great beach shack that I love near there. It's called Eduardo's. So I would I used to teach sup yoga at the fishermen's huts and then I would walk myself all the way down to Eduardo's, which is pretty close to the Holiday Inn. But the thing is when I did that, I had to commit to it. Like it was a far walk on the beach. And, you know, like when you're walking on sand, it, it's harder and it makes you move slower. And when I did it too, the Ritz was built. So I was just basically walking like in front of one hotel to the next. But I know when Natalie was there, the Ritz was not there. So it was probably a lot spookier to walk along that beach in front of the fishermen's huts. And yeah, I just think there's no way that that happened. There's no way she would have let herself... She, she would not have just said, okay, yeah, just see you later. Just leave me on the beach. Bye. Yeah, I'll just have a beach walk late at night. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So obviously Yoran is still lying. Nothing new. All right, Emily, but we're getting to a fun part. I think you're going to like this. 
So two weeks after Yoran is arrested, Paulus is arrested too for obstructing justice. What a shithead. Like, you know <laughs> when you're that high up in a Reuben society and that high up in the justice system and you get arrested for obstructing justice, you've done some shit. You've done some shit. Because yeah, they're not just going to arrest you for no justice, reason. Literally. Yeah. And it was because he changed his story on what time he picked Yoran up that night. At first, he said he picked him up at 11 p.m. at McDonald's, and then when he realized that his son needed an alibi, he changed that time to 4 a.m. that he picked Yoran up. And I don't know how that would have helped Yoran, because 4 a.m. doesn't really give him an alibi. It actually makes more. Palace. It actually makes more problems, right? Because like the 11 p.m. one, at least Yoran corroborated that. At one point during one of his stories, he said, yes, daddy picked me up at 11 p.m. And then best friend, boyfriend Deepak came and picked me up again later. And we went back out and did things and murdered a girl. <laughs> no, like and then 4 a.m. doesn't make it any better because now you've fully given him an entire night to do the murder, get rid yeah. of the body. And then you picked him up at 4 a.m. washing the right. bleach from his hands next to his best friend's car. Like, yeah, does he think that? I don't know how he thought that would help him. He's dumb. He's dumb. But yeah, he also gave, like, the three suspects legal advice without being their official attorney. So, and, like, by his own admission, Paulus has explicitly said that he would do anything to protect his son. Why, though? Like, are you actually proud of that? Right? Like, how? Like, I know you made it, and it's, like, parts of you, and it, like, kind of, like, looks, but, like, really? Really? (laughs) Really, Paulus? Just cut that loose. Try again. And you know what the first thing that Anita did, Yoran's mom, when Paulus was arrested? She directly called the police chief. Oh, you know, the bestie. Asked the what was going on. The godfather. The yeah. godfather. I'm going to make an offer you. Can I refuse? The godfather. <laughs> and Paulus, when he was arrested, he refused to go in a police car to the jail. He said he wanted to drive himself, and the cops let him. So Paulus pops in his little car, drives himself to jail... But he only remained there for a few days. He got released, I think, three days later. And then he got out of the jail, drove himself home in his car, which was still parked in the parking lot there. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. <laughs> this is, okay, so this is the difference between living on an island and living in a gigantic country where you could just flee. Because they're going to be like, yeah, where are you going to go in your car? Unless it's, like, aquatic. <laughs> which is, like, I just see Dennis That'd Reynolds cool. freaking cool. out about his car. <laughs> Yeah, so because of this, Paulus, um, he hadn't been able to work in the government since he got arrested, and he would continue on later to seek a ruling that would officially remove him as a suspect and reinstate him to his job, and he would win this. He was cleared, he was allowed to resume his normal life and work, and he actually brought a second action. He tried to get monetary compensation because of his false arrest, but didn't work out for him. <laughs> Because he's a garbage bag. Yep. He's a garbage bag. And around that same time that Paulus was arrested, this random disc jockey named Steve Crows was also arrested. Again, it was based on information that came from Yoran Deepak or Satish. Why so are we letting knows? them give information in this case? Like, why are we letting them dictate yeah. who we arrest? That's so who silly. The fuck knows? And that guy was also released after a couple days and never mentioned again. Cool. Thanks, police. All right, so I have a little fun speed round now of Yoran's stories. So let's go. Story number six. He left Natalie at the beach alone because she fell asleep. Story number seven. 
He left Natalie at the beach. Deepak went back and <laughs> Deepak went back. <laughs> that made me laugh. That's good. <laughs> and raped her and killed her and then buried her at the fisherman's huts. Story number eight. They both fell asleep at the fisherman's huts. Then he woke up later and left Natalie there sleeping. But still, Deepak went back and murdered and buried her. Okay, so literally at this point, Deepak, look at this friendship you have. Why would you ever answer this man's 3 a.m. phone calls? Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, Yoran is just pooping stories at this point. But I think that maybe they kind of realized that Yoran was full of shit. So on July 4th, Deepak and Satish were released. Yoran was detained for an additional 60 days. Probably because the dude can't tell the same story twice if he tried. I'm starting to wonder if maybe he's just bad at speaking English. I know you said he went to a nice school and had nice training, but maybe he just doesn't... Maybe he's just putting English words together and hoping they're saying something and it's not right. <laughs> Don't give him any excuses. <laughs> After... The two brothers were released. This is when shit kind of hit the fan for Natalie's family. So even though Yoran was still in prison, um, Beth made a statement calling the Kalpo brothers criminals and stated that two suspects were released yesterday who were involved in a violent crime against my daughter. And this kind of changed the tide in Aruba. It really ticked off the Aruban people and a big demonstration ensued. 200 Arubans stood outside the courthouse and they were wearing Aruban flags and they had signs reading things like respect our Dutch laws or go home and innocent until proven guilty. And one sign even suggested that Natalie was still off partying in Venezuela. And Beth did apologize for these remarks, but it just kind of didn't really work. Like there was some clear shift that happened there. Whereas before, the Aruban people were on her side wanting to get this solved. And now it was kind of like they felt that Beth was threatening. My doorbell just rang. Hold on a second. And some people even straight out just told her to go home. But shortly after this, on August 26th, the Kalpo brothers were actually arrested again. So Yoran, he was still in custody throughout this whole thing. Um... And with the Calpo brothers, a new dude named Freddy Arambatsis. I don't know how to say that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> he was 21, and he was also arrested. And this was a little bit confusing. So apparently he was arrested for taking photographs of an underage girl and having inappropriate physical contact with her. And apparently Yoran and the Calpos were involved in this incident. But this had happened before Natalie even disappeared. So I kind of think that this was the Aruban police kind of, I don't know, intimidating them in a, a little bit to try and just bring out some of their lifestyle to show what they were like a little bit and maybe get them talking. I don't really know. But because um, it does seem like this group of guys, uh, Yoran, Freddie, and the two brothers, they called themselves pimps and they basically like to go around Aruba taking advantage of females. And Freddie had a website where he called himself the Loco Man Pimp. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But he would be released with no charges. And yeah, it seemed like this was just a ploy to try and get the boys to confess. But actually, in fact, three girls came forward stating that they had been drugged and raped by Yoran a few weeks before Natalie's disappearance. 
This was reported, but never proven. And apparently, the girls dropped their cases after speaking to Dennis Jacobs. He was the one who couldn't take Natalie's mom's statements until he had his frosted flakes. And even after, because then he just didn't want the statement that day. So he's (laughs) clearly a good dude. Good at his job. Beth did think that Natalie could have been drugged because of how Yoran had described her, like saying she was falling asleep and waking up and stuff like that. So, and I mean, Yoran, it does seem that he had a reputation on the island for womanizing and taking advantage of girls. Like, remember the very first thing that the hotel clerk said to Natalie's mom, that he liked blonde girls. And we already know he pretended to be a tourist to the entire group from Natalie's school, so... It definitely seems weird. All right. So now we're closing up for today. I have one little piece of bad news again to share. So we're going to end on a bad note. But on August 2nd, all three boys were released from custody without any charges against them. So this was about 90 days after Natalie had went missing. And Paulus was bragging about it, of course. Idiot. Of course. And the timing of their release was just really weird. So right before this happened, one of the most popular tourist attractions in Aruba, it's the Coral Rock Natural Bridge, it just collapsed into the sea. And Natalie's mom started feeling really unsafe, so she also left the island. And communications between the family and the the Aruban authorities really deteriorated. Reporters were also told they weren't welcome anymore. They were. It was said that their broadcast licenses would not be re- renewed and that if they wanted to apply again, it would be three or four times more expensive now to apply. So, yeah, Aruba was essentially making this up as they go. They just went into, like, full-on protection mode at that point and were like, get yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also interesting to me because 90 days, if this happened, like, after Natalie went missing... Um, That's how long you're allowed to be in Aruba as a tourist before you need to have a visa to stay in the country. So it's just interesting to me. It it also happened at the exact same time that Hurricane Katrina happened. So a lot of the media had shifted their focus away from Natalie towards this new disaster, you know? So we have a lot of things happening. We have 90 days, everyone's visa is up. 90 days, now there's this big thing that's taken the attention away from the media. And now the guys are getting released from prison. So it just kind of seems like, yeah, maybe maybe everyone was thinking, oh, we only need to deal with this for 90 days, and then that's it. And then everything will go away. Interesting, though, because like if Natalie's not a dead person on your island... Now she needs to be deported, and nobody seems too interested in finding her and getting her <laughs> deported. So maybe she's just she's an Aruban citizen in now. Venezuela, yeah, yeah. How could I forget it? <laughs> We're gonna leave it there for today, but don't worry. There's still a lot of things to talk about. The story is not over just yet. Do you have any final thoughts, Emily? Yeah, like incompetence ruled this case. That's it. That's all. That's all I've got. You're all incompetent. Cool. All right, we'll see you next time. Come back for part four. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. 
If you liked this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of SpookPod. New ones are out every Friday. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to chat? Email us at thespookpod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at SpookPod. For a full list of episodes, more deets, or to see what's coming next, visit our website, spookpod.com. This has been a presentation of Mostly Awkward Media. See See you next week. week!